First I was a Catholic girl, loved the mass. I watched the swirl of smoke from candles burning, while Mary looked up yearning. I got confirmed and I confessed. I really felt that I was blessed. Plus I loved my uniform. So did the boy who lived next door. But something changed when I became of age. And all those things I thought were true. Someday I'd break the big time. Radio Hour. This is Larry Rhodes, or Doubt of Five, DJ name. Uh, we'll be talking about atheism, free thought, rational thought, humanism, and the sciences. Conversely, we'll also talk about religion, religious faith, gods, holy books, and superstition. Uh, today I have with me a special guest, John Webster, uh, a local author. Uh, he wrote a book called Ten Decisions I Could Have Made Better Than God, and we'll be talking about free thought books today. And... Uh, might as well get started. Uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. It's good to be here. Uh, I had uh, met Larry Rhodes at the uh, gathering we have of atheists, the uh, Atheist Society of Knoxville. It uh, happens on Tuesday nights at Barley's. And I had gone on uh, meetup.com to look for an atheist meetup group, and I came across Larry's group. And uh, there's about 30 or 40 of us that meet uh, Tuesdays from 5.30 p.m. to about, what, what does it go, until about 9 p.m.? Is that, about, is that, nine, about, about 9 o'clock? Mm-hmm. And uh, Larry actually started this group several years ago. And uh, recently the group's gotten pretty popular, and I uh, have uh, Larry to thank for that. So I appreciate you uh, starting that group. I've met a lot of great people through this uh group including Larry and uh, today we'll be talking about Larry's book Atheism what it's, what's it all about um, one of the things about the book is that it has a uh, quote by Larry on the back cover which says when mankind learns that there are no gods it will be as important to human development as the discovery of fire and I think it's a pretty good quote myself uh, glad that Larry put that on the book I think it was a good decision and uh, first, the first of my questions to Larry would be, uh, why did you choose that quote specifically to put on the back cover and not any of the other quotes in the book uh, instead? Well, one thing, uh, I strongly feel that all the monies and efforts and time being put into uh, worshiping a, a non-existent God could give us a great leap forward in humanity and and. Uh, cures for disease and, and ending suffering for of, our, of our fellow man. I just think that it would it would be equivalent to the discovery of fire if that happened. We wouldn't have to keep wasting our resources uh, in a thousand different directions. We could pull together as a single uh, humanity or a machine, if you will. Good quote. Good quote. Uh, Scandinavian countries are for the majority of them uh, atheist people. And I think that uh, the Scandinavian model of government is a good one, and I also think that one of the reasons that Scandinavian people are so happy is because not only because they're atheists, but because their standard of living is so high, so they don't need religion, and their education is so high, they have 
free education in the Scandinavian countries. And as uh, I've pointed out before, uh, the higher your education is, the more education you receive, the more likely you are to reject religion and to become an atheist. So that's uh, one point about why the Scandinavian countries are more atheistic. And one of the reasons they're so happy is because their standard of living is so high because they have excellent social programs. Uh, one of the questions we can start out with here, uh, that was my first question about the back of the book, but uh, one, one of my first questions to Larry would be, do you recall when you met your first atheist or learned that some people don't believe in God? Uh, and that's my first question. Well, I had always heard that there were people out there that didn't believe in God, but I had never really met one until I got out of the Navy and went to college. And yes, it was a memorable meeting because I ended up marrying her, and and Great we were story. we were together about seventeen years altogether. Uh, she was a very intelligent young girl from uh, South Carolina, and uh, she skipped her senior year in high school to go to college. And there I was, a twenty-two-year-old from the Navy. And uh, she knew all about Christianity because her father was a deacon in the Southern Baptist Church back home. So uh, all of my my reasons for staying in the religion and believing in God, uh, she knew the religion better than I did, and she could answer all my questions and tell me why it just didn't make sense. And it wasn't too long before I was an atheist myself. I'd say by the by the end of the first year at college, I was an atheist. There you go. There you go. Uh, as Larry was pointing out, uh, he said his uh, girlfriend at the time and his future wife uh, was an atheist and that she knew more about the Bible than he did. And that is not an uncommon occurrence uh, on standard tests where the subject matter is covering religion. Uh, it is often the case that atheists and secular people know more about the Bible than do believers themselves, even though uh, religious people go to church and uh, are supposed to be, according to their pastors and, you know, what they like to say about themselves, uh, are studying the Bible. And uh, it's the case that atheists know more about the Bible than believers. Uh, my next question would be... Uh, well, let me say one other thing okay. about that uh, before we get off the topic. I have studied the Bible so much more now uh, that I was an atheist than I, was, I ever did when I was a, a, a Christian. I was born and raised into a Christian household, and I never read the Bible. I just listened to what the preacher said and, and accepted what he said. But once I actually got to be an atheist and knew the reasons against it, I couldn't believe that what she was telling me was in the Bible was in the Bible. And that was a big jump start forward because I hadn't read it. I just took the preacher's word that it was all good, but it it's anything but a good book. Exactly. As I've pointed out before, uh, it seems that the Bible is not really required reading, but recommended reading. And as Bill Maher has pointed out before, um, it is like the uh, uh, disclaimer on a uh, software package. Uh, pretty much most people just scroll to the bottom and click agree rather than reading it themselves. Uh, Larry's told us a little bit about his deconversion experience, but I'd like to know a little bit more about it, uh, what the actual uh, process was and how, how, his, uh, you know, how his thinking went, uh, which led to him becoming an atheist. How, how did that go? Well, <clears throat> it's kind of like uh, all the way through high school, 
I, I converted when I was 11 through peer pressure and mother pressure. Uh, she always wanted me to go down and get converted, uh, accept Jesus and all that. It was peer pressure. I didn't want to go. And uh, all through high school and, and through the Navy, I, I went through the motions of saying I was a Christian. And I did believe that God was real and that I was going to hell when I died if I didn't accept Jesus. And all this stuff, I believed all the claims of Christianity. But I, I didn't like the people. And for some reason, you know, the preachers and, and all the people in church, the, the, they glad hand you and they always trying to sell you on their, their version of, of um, redemption. It, it, I didn't, at a gut level, I didn't have a trust of them. And then when I finally met an atheist, I, I figured out why I didn't have a trust for them. Uh, they were selling a non-existent product, and they had to make you believe that the product existed so that they could also sell you the cure. Um, and it, it just all came together when I, when I had some conversations with, with Hilda, was her name. So um, it came together then. <coughs> but as far as my deconversion, um, it was, you know, the first year in college and, and the conversations I had with Hilda. I remember one particular uh, Christmas evening, and we stayed up pretty much all night talking about these things. And by the next morning, I, uh, my questions had been answered, and I didn't have any good answers myself. But a lot of time has gone by since then. That was 1973. And I've studied an awful lot of Christian apologetics since then. So uh, I figured I'd put what I knew in a book, and that's what you have in your hand there. There you go. Uh, you you mentioned... Uh books that you've read uh what books would you rec would you consider recommended reading for um religious studies uh and these could be both books that are pro-religion and anti-religion what books would you recommend to somebody who is trying to figure out the way things are and trying to figure out the truth about religion well the ones that are pro-religion of course um uh, the evidence for christ or uh, i can't think of the name of it um, the case for Christ. Case for Christ. Thank Lee, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. Right? Lee Strobel. He he's he makes the claim that he's going to uh, ask the hard questions and follow them right to the end, and he never questions anybody in the book who isn't already an evangelical Christian. Take the book, look at the back cover, look at all the people that he interviews in that book, and you'll notice that they're all recognized Christian evangelicals. Now, as far as uh, so, it's a little uh, bit biased sources is what you're saying. A little bit. Um, if, he had, if he had asked any one of the uh, current um, modern atheists, as they were, he would get entirely different uh, answers, and he would also get some very pointed questions that he wouldn't be able to answer, I'm sure. <coughs> now, Lee Strobel was a former journalist and lawyer, is that correct? I think so. But um, if, as far as books that I've read that, that made a big difference to me in my atheism, um, I had read quite a bit. I listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff. But I, I had been in the atheist closet since 73. And when 2001 came around, that was one of the main reasons that I came out of the closet to represent for atheism. Because it was religious people that were flying planes into our buildings and, and, and um, the Pentagon. But it was also religious people who were trying to come back and start a war uh, over it. I mean, they were like, our God is bigger than your God type of thing. And it led us into a war with Iraq where we didn't need to be there. Uh, all the people that had done the, the 
terrorism acts in 9-11 were Saudi Arabia. We should, we should have uh, had some very pointed discussions with Saudi Arabia, but that never happened. Matter of fact, we're still giving Saudi Arabia a pass because of the oil um, trade that we have with them. Anyway, one of the, the where I'm getting at or trying to is that the book that I read that really made me come out of the closet was Carl Sagan's A Demon Haunted World. It's all it has a subtitle of Science as a Candle in the Dark, which is very apt. Uh, I recommend everybody get it, read it, and take it to heart. There's several quotes in your book that I've come across that I really enjoyed. Uh, one of the chapters that I liked especially was chapter 5 in Larry's book called Atheism, what it's all, What's It All About? Chapter 5 is titled, What the Bible Could Have Said. And now you have, is it 23? 23, 23 things the Bible could have said? Is that, is that I is don't this, really have a count on them. They okay. just kept writing. And uh, one of the questions, one of the series of questions you asked in here, do you want me to go ahead and read it? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, in, in Larry's book in chapter 5, he says, uh, If the Bible really were the inspired word of an omniscient God who loved us and wanted the best for us, would it really have been filled with genocide, plagues, commandments, threats, and acceptable, acceptable ways to beat your slaves? Rather, wouldn't you expect that he would have taken time to calmly explain the workings of the world and the universe and then given you reasons to do the things that would actually be beneficial to the future of humanity. Uh, I agree with this statement, and I would also go on to point out that many apologists who uh, people would argue are pretty much best equipped to give the defense of God and God's existence, even though God doesn't exist, it takes a uh, master's degree in presuppositional Christian apologetics to prove the existence of God, and since Christians claim that God is an omniscient, omnibenevolent, uh, omnipotent being that is uh, conscious and wants everybody to know he exists, this is what it takes to defend God. And why can't God just prove his existence himself? Why does he need other people to do it for him? Right, and the thing about it is the belief in God, if you listen to the religious apologetics and the evangelicals, the belief in God is the most important uh, belief that you can have, bar none. There's nothing more important. But then you've, you've got a book that can be interpreted a 10,000 different ways and has been uh, interpreted that many times, and the, you have that many different religions just based on the Bible, not counting all the other religions that are not based on the Bible. If there is one omnipotent God, he could have put it all to rest by creating a Bible that was a living book that would speak to people in, in their own language uh, directly to their heart without any need for interpretation, and yet we find something that's clearly written by human beings. Exactly. Uh, one thing i like to point out is that uh, many Christians will say that God didn't dictate the Bible, but, it, but divinely inspired it and let each person choose their own writing style and their own words to communicate the message God had divinely inspired. And that's a red flag to be skeptical right there because if there's a perfect being out there, wouldn't he know the exact words that should be used to communicate his message? There are several writing styles in the, in the Bible, some of which are very poetic. 
such as the uh, books of Paul. However, some, some books, such as Genesis, are terribly written. And uh, that's, a, like I said, a red flag right there to give you an idea that the Bible may be just a bunch of bull. At least 2,000-year-old beliefs and stories. I mean, it's a book of anecdotes. It, these are stories that were told around the, the campfire for centuries before it was actually committed to paper. That's the Old Testament. And the New Testament wasn't even put to paper until, what, 30 to 70 30 to 70 years after Christ supposedly died. Now, I'm not saying Christ never lived. He might never have lived. But at the same time, it's easier just to say he did live. But at the same time, you can't credit the miraculous um, goings-on attributed to him any more than you, you can say that King Arthur lived. But at the same time, even if he did live, it doesn't mean that Merlin and magic and dragons all uh, existed. Uh, they was, these were embellishments that were added to his lore after he died to make him seem bigger and badder and, and better uh, as the stories were told and passed around. Exactly. And uh, one thing about writing a book 30 to 90 years after somebody had died and after the events occurred is if you try to remember something that happened 30 to 90 years after it happened, you're bound to have some inaccuracies as to what what exactly happened and there are some discrepancies in the gospels such as at Jesus' baptism where in one book uh, the author has God say at Jesus' baptism this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and in another book it says you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased now this is an extraordinary occurrence this is God speaking before a multitude. There are several people around to hear this, and they couldn't remember who God was speaking to. This is, this is something very important, and I think that you know, they would have at least gotten it right or at least uh, you know, had the Holy Spirit come upon them to get them to correct their um, contradictions, to have you know, it say either, you know, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, or you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They've had literally thousands of years to correct this mistake and they seem perfectly fine with it and you know how it contradicts each other and in this day of enlightenment and, and internet access uh, anybody can go on there and just type in contradictions of the bible and and you'll get hundreds if not thousands of contradictions um, was the first um, Jesus' first sermon was it on the mount or was it on the plain there are two different versions of that in the Bible. Uh, who, was, who showed up at the tomb? Who were they with? Who did they see at the tomb? There's four different versions of that. Uh, it's just all through the Bible there are contradictions. Uh, even, the, even the story of how the earth and universe began uh, have contradictions between the first two books. So, I mean, this is not a work of an omniscient being, obviously. Even uh, inspired beings by his work his inspiration was apparently not very clear to these people. Anyway, so it's, it's much easier to think that like this holy book, like any other holy book, was made up of tales uh, told by people who didn't know any better and were just trying to find answers in nature uh, for things that they could not explain. 
And another quote from the book, uh, Larry's book, Atheism, What's It All About? In chapter 8, it's, chapter 8 is entitled, Religion Hijacks Everything. And on page 43, it has a quote from Luke 14, 25-26, which says, And there went great, great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be be my he cannot be my disciple. And Larry points out after this verse, this is very much like something any modern day cult leader would say: turn your back on your family, and if they don't follow you into our family, wait, excuse me. Turn your back on your family if they don't follow you into our family or try to turn you against me. Right. And religion wants to replace your family in so many different ways. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. Uh, you don't have a father anymore. Their father is your father. Uh, you, they're sisters in Christ and brothers in Christ. And, if, and they'll tell you that if your brother does not want to come to Christ, then probably you shouldn't spend any more time with him. He can only lead you into sin and lead you into uh, damnation. Uh, this is not a. This is not good for humanity. This is not good for the future of humanity. It, just, it splits us and divides us against each other, even down to our family unit. And another quote from the book. This is taken from chapter eleven. Tap, chapter eleven is entitled "Something Evil This Way Comes to Springfield." And the quote on page sixty-five, which Larry wrote, is "Faith doesn't give you answers." It simply stops you from asking questions. That's true. That that particular um, blog post was an answer to uh, an article I read about the, the Catholic Church. I think it was in, yeah, it was in Springfield, uh, Illinois. The Catholic leaders there were getting together because they were going to pass a law allowing a gay marriage. Um, Imagine and, that. And they were going to get together and pray and do exorcisms to to exercise the the homosexual demons from uh, Springfield. Well, I guess that didn't work out very well. Um, First of all, because there are no demons, it's hard to exorcise a demon that doesn't exist. However, did you know the Catholic Church is hiring even more and more exorcist specialists at this day? I mean, they train them themselves, and then they're training more and more of them to be available uh, for their, their flock. And one of the things about the Catholic Church is lately they have had a new pope. Uh, pope Francis is a controversial figure both on the left and on the right. He is for things that I am for and he is against things. Wait, no, he is he is for things I am for and he is against things I am for, should I say. Um, I like to say that because of Pope Francis, or at least some of his views are refreshing, I like to say that Pope, out of all the popes that have existed in my lifetime, Pope Francis is my favorite, and I hate them all. <laughs> well, the problem with the Pope is he, he talks a good game, but he doesn't really do anything. The, uh, he's, the ban on, on condoms is still in place, uh, which is causing uh, great havoc in northern Africa from the AIDS epidemic, and then he blames the people who are using the condoms as spreading AIDS. Um, abstinence doesn't work. There's a there's an old joke that uh, says, abstinence works so well for for priests. You know it's going to work for your your teenager. <laughs> uh, 
You know, it just it doesn't work at all. Uh, people are going to have sex. It's it's better to, for them to be prepared for uh, uh, the sexual experience, uh, to know what to do about STDs, which which precautions to take, and uh, and and take preventive um, measures to prevent unnecessary or unwanted pr pregnancies. Uh, all of which you can just throw away by the side of the road because the Pope isn't for that. Uh, he's also against um, homosexuality, and he's against uh, homosexual marriage, uh, same-sex marriage. He's against uh, allowing women to rise to um, positions of leadership in the church. So women, as far as he's concerned, are second-class citizens. It says in the Bible that women are dirty af during and after their period. If they have a, a woman child, they're dirty twice as long as a male child, etc., etc. And he has not said anything or changed any position of the church on those matters. But he, he does have some good sound bites, better than any of the previous posts, popes. One of the things I would like to see about the Catholic Church uh, change is the fact that uh, priests and clergy are not allowed to marry. They say that, oh, the church is my bride. I am so dedicated to the church that I cannot marry because I don't have time. Another for a, I don't have time for a wife or if they could include a female clergy. I don't have time for a husband. The problem with this is, is that um, having this um, in place attracts people who are attracted to children. And they say, oh, well, I can't, I can't have a wife because the church is my wife, and I'm so dedicated to the church that I'm not going to marry. Uh, if I could change anything about the, the Catholic Church, one of the things I would change is I would let the clergy have wives, and if they choose to uh, have a female clergy, I would let them have husbands. This way they could have a sexual outlet and would quit being predatory on children. It's so true. We're down at the bottom of the hour. I think I'm going to do a station identification and play a song that's pretty much in the mode that we were just talking about, the Catholic Church. This is WOZO uh, 103.9, Low Power FM, Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> Oh, dressed up like a Christmas tree With velvet lace and gold They took us to their sacred house And we did what we were told They filled up our heads with stories And they told us that we could be saved If we sang and praised their heroes but he never showed his face They warned us to watch out for Satan Who'd be waiting there to capture our soul If we didn't heed all of their wishes He would drag us all down through that hole We'd burn and we'd scream there forever and our cries, they would never be heard Yes, the innocence of little children Will accept the liar's word Get down on your knees, dear father 
can beg now forgiveness for me Show me that you're truly sorry For the person that I couldn't be Show me some tears now of sorrow Show me a face that is real My innocent and lonely existence Was never left there for you to steal They take away all of your childhood They'll rob you of all of your dreams Their cruelty it hurts and will leave you With scars that can never be seen And we are all left here to suffer With the heartache of struggle and strife And our tears they'll never dry up They follow us on through life Get down on your knees, dear sister And beg now forgiveness from me For the cruelty towards all those children And the pain that you'll never see The mothers that lost all their babies And never would see them again The cries from their beds still remain in their heads And slowly it drives them insane Your gold, your chandeliers Take all your sermons and all of your songs You won't be back no more Take your church and your holy shame Your evil deeds from where you came Your candles are melted and no one cares You won't be back no more Down on your deep knees, dear father. I don't even know who the artist is. I can't seem to find it on, online. If anybody knows, you can call in. We do take questions. The phone number here is 333-5937. 333-5937. And um, where were we now on our discussion? Okay. I think I was just getting ready to talk to you about a quote in your book from Chapter 15. This is the book Larry wrote called Atheism, What's It All About? And from Chapter 15, Chapter 15 is entitled Why I Don't Believe in God. And on page 81, Larry says, you will then say, oh, that's why you have to have faith. Why? Many people in the Old Testament either saw God or his miracles. They didn't have to rely on faith alone. Even Jesus supposedly gave his disciples to demonstrate the truth of his message. Why are we supposed to just have faith? And I think this is a very good point. 
especially considering that today we have audio recording devices and video recording devices, and you know why doesn't God do some miracles like He did in the Bible, uh, especially biblical scale miracles that you know would have to be tested by our uh, advanced knowledge that we have today, which is more advanced than they had back in during the days of the Bible, which you could easily trick people into believing that you're a Messiah back then. And if we had uh, some biblical scale miracles today, we could, you know, check them out and you know confirm if you know this is this was indeed you know divine or if it was some fabrication or some trick designed to fool people into thinking that uh, they were true miracles. Yeah, uh, even though that there's face, uh, what is it? Uh, the graphic design softwares would be so easy to fabricate a miracle these days it would still be pretty easy for the the graphics professionals to be able to tell what is real or what is not and why it's not and how it was done so we're still waiting i guess for any uh any audio visual um, confirmation of the divine yeah of of, of miracles um one thing that uh Oh, David Hume said back in the 1700s, uh, says, we know that there are no miracles because we would have to give more credence to the bending of physical laws than to the fact that someone might be lying or mistaken, and which is a pretty heavy statement for like 400 years ago, uh, but it's true. I mean, uh, someone comes to you and says they saw a miracle, well, you can either think it's true, which would which would mean that there had to be uh, bending of physical laws, or that he was mistaken, or he just was telling a lie to you. Uh, now, if, if you have a miracle happen to yourself, that's a different uh, issue altogether. But however, I have so many people come to me and say, I, I, well, I ask people a lot of times when they ask me why I'm an atheist, I'll ask them why they believe in God. One guy particularly said, well, I asked God for a sign, and one day I got so many sevens. I said, sevens? I said, were you gambling? He Seven, said, the perfect number yeah, according no, to the Bible, he right? says, I saw a lot of sevens on my paycheck, a lot of sevens on my emails, a lot of sevens here. I said, you can understand why I don't consider that as good proof of God, don't you? He said, well, yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. But so many people are willing to settle for something like that. Not only even when they do get something like that and they, they're willing to say that it wasn't a coincidence, still it could be from any God, any supernatural being, or you know, it, it doesn't have to be the God of the Bible. It could have been Mormon God or uh, Buddha if he's you know, it's actually living and, and around and able to in, interact with our uh, natural universe. It's, I mean, they automatically jump from, look at the sevens, to it's the Christian God of the old Bible giving me these sevens, which is a hell of a leak. Exactly. Uh, one thing that I wrote in uh, my first book was I quoted Brian Tracy, who said that uh, if we are focused on something and wanting something in our lives, we tend to notice it more in our everyday lives. For example, if you are wanting to have a red sports car, you will tend to notice red sports cars on the interstate or in the parking lot wherever you are, and whatever you focus on, uh, that, that your mind tends to bring those things to your attention. Confirmation bias. Confirmation exactly. bias, absolutely. 
Like I used to have a, a blue Ford Mustang when I was in college. And, of course, I see them all over the place. They're on my mind. And when I see them, I think, you know, what a coincidence. I don't think that God sent them to my field of view. You know, you have to, you have to be realistic about these type of things. Coincidences happen. Even though the most evangelicals all over the world would tell you there are no such things as coincidences and everything happens for a reason, I, I disagree. I mean, coincidences happen all the time. I would agree that uh, it's not the case that things happen for a reason. Uh, to uh, censor myself as far as uh, something that I tend to think, I just believe that sometimes things happen. Uh, it's not always some divinely inspired, uh, you know, events that happen to you that you know are that lead to something better in the future. I think that a lot of people tend to think that things happen for a reason because they want to believe that because it makes them feel good because if they have, have something bad happen to them they think to themselves oh well I can bring something good good I can turn this into something good and something good can come as a result of this yes something good can come as a result of this and you can turn a bad situation around to get some good out of it but that does not mean that that, inc- that thing that happened to you that was bad happened for a reason you can be optimistic about it and see the silver lining around every black cloud but as George Carlin was apt to point out that doesn't mean the the, the cloud isn't pitch black right and not only that but if you do something good give yourself credit for it Uh, most Christians I know gladly gladly turn over everything every accomplishment they've ever had and point to to Jesus say you know I, I got this great job I'm doing really good I'm working hard and you know, but but it's not me. It's Jesus. He he did this. Or uh, the football guy with the touchdowns, and uh, it's just give it, yourself some credit. I'm no no wonder you're so theoretically so humble, even though I could argue that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, give yourself credit for doing good. Uh, it's 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 you that's making the difference. They refuse to give themselves credit, and not only that, they refuse to accept responsibility for their actions. And as many times as the case. When they do something bad, it was Satan tempting them, and they blame the devil for every time they do something wrong. So the devil is essentially the scapegoat, and whenever something good happens in their lives, they say, oh, this is God's handiwork. This is, this is God working through me, and they never take credit for anything good they do, but while at the same time they never accept responsibility for anything bad they do. The, we've got a good, uh, um, excuse me, a, a song on the schedule here that I'll play here in a little bit that kind of goes to this. It's called God Said. It says, it's not me that's, that's saying all this stuff. It's in the Bible. Or it's not not me that's that's causing uh, these armies, or, you know, we're talking about a president now, to come and do this. You know, God said, it's, uh, it's, it's not me, it's him. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now and see how it goes. Christy, something happened a long time ago in Haiti. And uh, people may not want to talk about it. They were under the heel of the French. And they got together and swore a pact to the devil. They said, we will serve you if you'll get us free from the French. Mm. True story. And so the devil said, okay, it's a deal. Ever since they have been cursed. My imaginary friend. See the trouble he gets in can be traced back to me Oh, he can pretend at the slightest of his whim He has the power to suspend all rules of morality And when he gets
Cause I can just ask for forgiveness and it's over So you can't put the blame on me I'm doing what God said What God said What God said Don't you put the blame on me I'm doing what God said What God said What God said So you're praying for the death of the President of the United States you think it's appropriate to, to say something like that? Or I'm not saying anything. What I'm doing is repeating what God is saying. I'm in the name of the one who made us all. I will hide behind these walls from my enemies. Oh, by the power bestowed from up above. I will conquer you because it is my destiny. And with the righteous hand, I will bring you to your knees. I will strip you of your freedom without mercy. And when the earth cries and the blood runs in the sand, there will be hey, no question. unworthy. Did you so know you the down to five has a three by video available with this music soundtrack on uh, YouTube. If you get a chance to see it, though, I, I'd highly recommend it. It's got a powerful message. Um, you wrote a book yourself. Um, ten, you both wrote four books, I understand. Uh, the, the one I read was Ten Decisions I Could Have Made Better Than God Did. Ten Decisions I Could Have Made Better Than God and other audacious atheist articles. That Why don't is, you give us a few of those decisions? I'm sure people are asking themselves about that. Okay, I haven't really uh, brought my uh, book with me, but uh, one of the decisions I would have made is to not kill my son, to right. not kill my son and claim it enables me to forgive people. I mean, like he did with Jesus. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take this call. Hello, you're on the air. Um, Hold on just a second while we get the microphone moved over. Okay, see, so give us the voice check to see how it works. Microphone check, microphone check. Okay. Microphone, 
you're coming through. Will you have a question or comment for us? Good to go. Yeah, just generally, I think the idea of atheism is denying sort of a, a sort of force to the universe that is That's an important point. Uh, I call myself an I call myself an agnostic atheist because there might be some kind of god out there. There may be something hiding on the other side of Alpha Centura on one of the moons. There might be a, a, a god that fits that description. But all of the gods that I've had described to me have self-contradictory um, properties that I just can no longer. Um, uh, subscribe to, but I'm not. I, I'm an agnostic atheist because I don't know that there's no God out there anywhere. I just don't believe in any that I've had described to me. So essentially, what you're so 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 essentially what you're saying is that you are uh, taken in awe by the universe, and you're saying that the universe is so complex that right now we can't understand all of it. Which is essentially the the argument of the God of the gap saying what we don't know we call God. Is that is that am I understanding your position correctly? Incorrect. Uh, what I'm saying is that I believe that the so called Christians and the deists and the people that subscribe, I don't trust any human being that tells me they understand what's going on. With whether they put it in a book, in a philosophy, whenever a monkey starts saying, we've got the answer back is conveniently located in the spoken room, mm-hmm. I know that they do not. And they cannot have the answer. So I guess I'm a sort of skeptical agnostic with my philosophy. That sounds good. Um, but agnosticism speaks to knowledge or, na- or claimed knowledge. Uh, atheism and theism speak to whether you believe in a god or not. Would you say that you believe in a god? <laughs> yeah. I generally don't at all with deists uh, or uh, pantheists or panentheists. Uh, these uh, people generally do not have dogma that they're trying to pass legislation on or push down my throat or scream at me on the, the, the corner. Uh, actually, I think it's, it's a, a way 
for people to express their awe of the universe. Uh, that's fine with me. I have no no problem with it. I have a lot a lot of awe of the expansion and the dynamics of the universe, and I think it's wonderful. I think it's uh, grandiose. I think it's incredible. Um, but to put. <coughs> Okay, great. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Thank you for calling. And where were we? Um, okay, so uh, the way I'm understanding that guy, and I hope I'm not putting words in his mouth, is that he is more of the agnostic uh, persuasion, and he does support separation of church and state. Was I yeah. understanding him yeah, correctly? I, I would call him an agnostic deist. Agnostic um, deist, okay. Yeah. Which, which is a good place to be. Um, it, there's nothing out. There's nothing to say that a God does not actually exist. It, it, you get down into the, the the areas of whether you believe or not. It, that's where atheism comes in. Good. Uh, we're going to go now to chapter 18 of Larry's book. Larry's book is entitled Atheism. What's it all about? And it's by Larry S. Rhodes. And chapter 18 is entitled Don't You Atheists Worship Satan? And the quote from that book on page 89 says, Do atheists worship Satan? Short answer, no, we don't. First of all, Satan is part of the Christian belief system. He supposedly is a supernatural being with, with superpowers. He is also supposedly the incarnation of evil. Since atheists generally don't believe in any supernatural beings, especially those with superpowers who can interact with us here in the real world, we don't believe in him, and therefore we do not worship him. That's like somebody asking you, and I think this is a brilliant, brilliant quote by uh, Larry here in this book. That's like somebody asking you, you don't believe in Santa? You mean you worship the Grinch? Yeah. Uh, it's just silly to us atheists because all of, uh, you know, all of these devils, demons, angels, uh, cherubim, uh, gods, uh, all of that is part of the Christian pantheism. Uh, a penelope of, uh, of supernatural beings and why would we buy into one of them uh, and when we don't buy into any of the other ones it just makes no sense and one of the thing one of the experiences I had in relation to uh, what Larry just uh, what Larry wrote in his book is that uh, a while back uh, in one of my other jobs I had a co-worker who was under the impression, after I told her that I was an atheist, that I worshipped Satan. And she seemed to be perfectly fine with the idea of me worshipping Satan. And when she told me that she thought that was what I did and that, that was my thing, I pointed out to her that no, she was incorrect, and the atheists don't believe in Satan, don't believe in God, don't believe in heaven, or don't believe in hell. And after I told her this, she seemed more disturbed by the fact that I didn't believe in God, Satan, heaven, or hell, than she did with the with her thinking that I worship Satan. So that's essentially one of the things that you know you get when you uh, are an atheist, and when people find out you're an atheist, is this extreme level of confusion over what you actually believe. So true. I couldn't put it better. Uh, even uh, if if you to, believe it or not, Satanists. 
don't believe in Satan. <laughs> the, was that the uh, Leviathan? Leviathan, Satan, Satan, yeah, Satan think, is uh, what you normally hear when you hear people talking about a Satanism and and putting up monuments and things like that. It's just a kind of a counterposition to all the religious doc- indoctrination that they hear that you hear through culture these days. They're just taking a position, uh, tongue in cheek, to the opposite bench. But it, it's kind of hard for us atheists because we always get. Um, compared to labeled as that yeah and i think there there's actually levian satanism which is what larry is talking about and there's actual theistic satanism which is worship of the devil you don't see much of that though yeah exactly but Uh, even if you did it would be somebody who was not an atheist i mean they would also believe in god that we just side with the devil yeah so and uh chapter 21 from larry's book uh, one of the things he wrote is uh, chapter 21. We have uh, the title of chapter 21 being, How Can Atheists Be Moral Without Accepting Biblical Morals? One of the quotes that I like, I like that he wrote on page 100 is when Larry says, Even the golden rule claimed by many Christians as having originated with Jesus Christ was invented in other forms millennia before he lived. Confucius, who lived from 551 B.C. to 479 B.C., said, one should not treat others in ways that one would not like to be treated. This sentiment is also present in Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism, as well as most of the other world's religions. Simon Blackburn in 2001 states that the golden rule can be found in some form in almost every ethical tradition. And one thing I would like to point out is that Jesus had the golden rule, which said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And uh, there's been a platinum rule, which has, uh, which which goes that you should uh, do unto others as they would have you do unto them, because not everybody wants to be treated the same way you want to be treated. Some people are huggers. Some people like mm-hmm. hugging, and some people don't. And if you like being hugged, and you go around hugging everybody, especially people you do not know or just met, they might not like that. So. It's better to always go by the platinum rule, which says do unto others as they would have you to do unto them, rather than the golden rule, which is, in, in my opinion, subpar. That's a good example. I like that. And we've got down about five minutes left. What do we want to do with that? Uh, let's talk about um, the, the atheist organizations in Knoxville. We'll put a word out for them. The Atheist Society of Knoxville meets every Tuesday at uh, for happy hour in the old city at Barley's Tap Room and Pizzeria. Just come on down. You don't have to uh, uh, read a book or, or bring anybody. It's just show up if you would like to have some good conversations on this subject or even if you just like to be among other uh, non-believers. Um, that's happy hour or 5.30 or 6 at Barley's Tap Room and Pizzeria. The, the Rationalists of East Tennessee meet twice a month, uh, the first and third Sundays at Pellissippi Campus uh, at the Cafeteria Annex. That's every uh, other Sunday, first and third, um, starting at about 10 o'clock uh, at the Pellissippi Campus. Just follow the signs and uh, you'll be there. Okay, and where were we now? Another quote from Larry's book, which is from uh, chapter, let's see here, Chapter 22, chapter 22 is entitled, Atheists Prove That God Does Not Exist. The Burden of Proof, that is, uh, I should probably uh, point out the punctuation there, that is, atheists, as in they are addressing atheists, 
Atheist, why don't you prove that God does not exist? The burden of proof. And one of the things Larry says is, if your worldview is not swayed by facts or reason, then it is not based on facts or reason. That's true. And let's talk about the burden of proof for just a second. If I, if I said that I had a uh, new pet, uh, you would accept that. If I said I had a pet dog, you would accept that. Uh, firstly, it's a common occurrence. It happens every day. People know what dogs are, and they know that they keep them for pets. It's not a problem. Plus, I'm not asking you for money or uh, to do anything. But if I said uh, if I had a, I had a pet, it's a dragon, and he's invisible, you have every right to ask me for proof. I have the burden of proof. It's extraordinary for someone to have a dragon, considering that they don't uh, they don't show up. I mean, every corner that you walk by. And if I asked you that you had to believe in this dragon and give me money and do stuff that I told you because I had the dragon, now you have even more reason to demand proof. But this is exactly what religions ask you to do every week. Give money, give time, uh, perform duties for the church, etc., etc. All the way down, they, some churches even want to tell you how to dress and what medicines you can use and can't use. Medical procedures like blood transfusions. Uh, it's, it's amazing that people are not demanding proof of these claims, but yet they don't. And uh, we'll go to our uh, final quote from Larry. This is from the chapter, uh, chapter entitled, Chapter 23, Common Misconceptions About Evolution. And on page 113, Larry says, Knowledge is power, and with the Internet, school is always in session. Uh, one of the things I like to point out is that it's, it is often said that the Internet is where religion goes to die. Uh, the Internet is probably the best place to get information because information is free. We have uh, Wikipedia. We have all these articles and even some books that have been put on the Internet for uh, air consumption. We have YouTube videos. We have uh, even audio books of books that have been copyrighted that uh, people have put the audio books on YouTube. The, the Internet is a plethora of information. And as the saying goes, the Internet is where religion does go to die because there's so much information out there that you can literally research anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just what happens when you go to the Internet. You discover that your religious beliefs are fallacious and wrong. And remember, uh, education doesn't end with the last day of school. Well, this is Larry Rhodes I'm, and John Webster with the, the Free Thought Radio Hour. Um, I'm going to take us out with What If No One's Watching. Down. What if he's looking up instead?